Let's bow together and ask the Lord's blessing on the ministry of the word this evening. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a light to our feet. Help us to give attention to it, O Lord, not only on the Lord's day, but day after day. May we be eager to hear from you. May we believe what we hear. May we believe it sincerely so that we even live according to it. God, we do thank you for the doctrines that are contained within our catechism. Uh, This catechism that we are considering has been a wonderful guide to us over the past uh, weeks and years even. Uh, So we thank you for it, Lord, but we do ask that you would help us to comprehend these doctrines that are contained within your word again so that we might live according to these truths. Uh, Feed us now by your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This evening we will be considering Baptist Catechism question 40 which asks, what benefit do believers receive from Christ at death? What benefit do believers receive from Christ at death? And the answer is this, and I would like you to repeat after me as is our custom. The souls of believers are at death. The souls of believers are at death. Made perfect in holiness. Made perfect in holiness. And do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, bodies, being still united to Christ, Christ, do rest in their graves graves, till the resurrection. resurrection. Our sermon text for tonight is Philippians 1, and we'll look at verses 18 through 26. Philippians 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, saying, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Uh, Paul the Apostle was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was hoping to be freed, but he acknowledged that perhaps he would not be. His desire was that he, God would be glorified either through his life or by death. Now I continue. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this evening. For many weeks now, we have been answering the question, what benefits do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? That is Baptist Catechism number 35. And in the following questions and answers, we have learned that in this life, believers are justified, they are adopted, they are sanctified, and that there are many other benefits that either accompany or flow from these benefits. But here with question 40, you will notice that we turn our attention to the moment of death. 
And then you will also notice that in question 41, which we will come to on the next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we will fix our minds on the resurrection, which will happen when Christ returns to make all things new. And so in these questions, we learn that there are benefits that come to the believer not only in this life, but also at the moment of death and also at the resurrection. I suppose there are some who think that the benefits that Christ has earned for us will only come to us in the future, at the moment of death and for all eternity. Perhaps you yourself have thought this way before. You think of our salvation as being only a future thing, you know, something that will really come to benefit us in the life to come. But this view is wrong because this view ignores the many blessings that are ours now and in this life presently, which we have previously considered. Our salvation is not only future, but it is ours presently. But there are others, I'm sure, who think only of the benefits that are ours now and fail to consider the blessings that will come to us in the future at the moment of death and for all eternity. These fixate upon the Lord's provision for us now. They fixate upon the Lord's sanctifying work now, etc. But these forget that Christ came to ultimately save us from sin and from the curse of death so as to bring us safely into our eternal home in the new heavens and new earth where we will enjoy the presence of God forever and ever. And so let us be sure that we do not make the one mistake or the other. Let us be sure to recognize that in Christ we are blessed in this life. We will be blessed even in the moment of death. And we will be blessed for all eternity in the life to come. Perhaps you have noticed that people do not like to think or talk about death very much. It's understandable. Uh, death is certainly an unpleasant topic, even for the believer. Death is, in some respects, unnatural. We were not originally created to die, but to live forever in the presence of God. But our first parents fell into sin, and the wages of sin is death, that is spiritual death, which is alienation from God, and also physical death. So death is unnatural to us. It is a curse. It is a perversion of how things were designed to be in the beginning. And it is no wonder then that we mourn death. Death is something that human beings always mourn. It is a sorrow to us. The human spirit quite naturally is troubled by death. And this is true for the believer and the non-believer alike. Both mourn death. Even our Savior mourned the death of his dear friend Lazarus. Remember that Jesus wept over him. But the Christian's perspective is different, or at least it should be. Though death is sorrowful even for the Christian, its sting has been removed. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that is a wonderful declaration that there the Apostle makes. He's quoting the Old Testament as he makes it. But he is saying, O death, where is you, your sting? Your, this is the sting of death, the power of death, has been removed for the one who is in Christ Jesus. When the one who has faith in Christ dies, they pass from life to life. 
They pass from this world and into the presence of God. They are transferred from a state of grace to a state of glory. Death is a promotion for the believer. Death brings about perfection instead of thorough decay. Now, I am not saying that we should rejoice over the death of a believer and not grieve. No, death will always involve sorrow, for by it we are separated from those we love for a time, and by it the body is unnaturally separated from the soul, as we will soon learn. By it also we are reminded of the curse of sin. And so death will always involve sorrow, but for the Christian it cannot produce utter despair. For Christ has defeated sin and death, and in Him we have life everlasting. And this is why Paul could speak in the way that he did concerning the thought of his own death in Philippians 1.18 and following. I wonder if you heard the way that he spoke of the, the, the prospect of death. He actually said this, for to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that mean exactly? It means that in Paul's view, for him to go on living in this world, it would mean service to Christ. If he were to go on living, if the Lord were to give him more years, more decades, he would live to Christ, that he would live to, to his service and for the benefit of, of Christ's church. But to die, Paul says, would in some respects be better, for then he would come into God and Christ's presence, and the troubles of this world would pass away for him. And in this passage, he weighs out the benefits of each, doesn't he? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And, and so here Paul is wrestling with the benefits of each uh, right in front of our very eyes. He's saying, as I consider the prospect of death, I, there's a part of me that wants to go into the presence of God in Christ even now. I want to be with him. But there's a part of me that wishes to stay. For here I can be used of the Lord, and here I can be used to, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Of course, Paul knew that whether he lived or died was not up to him. The moment and circumstances of our death, just like the moment and circumstances of our birth, is to be left to God. But as he considered the possibility of death, he was not overwhelmed with fear and dread as so many are. No, there was a sense in which he was eager for it so that he might come into the presence of the Lord. I wonder, is the same true for you? Do you have the same view of death, the same view that Paul the Apostle had? Now, what I have just said, I think, can be terribly misunderstood, and so I do feel compelled to make two qualifications. One, I am not claiming that Paul was without any fear regarding death. It is quite natural and, I think, good to fear death, that is to say, to fear the process of dying. Uh, this natural fear of death should help us to live carefully and according to wisdom. Though Christians do not fear death ultimately because Christ has overcome it, neither are they to use this courage to live reckless and irresponsible lives in this world. There is a, a kind of natural fear that is in fact healthy and, and, and not at all sinful. And two, you will notice that Paul's eagerness to pass from this world and to go into the presence of God in Christ was balanced by his desire to remain on earth so that he might serve Christ and be used for the furtherance of his kingdom. 
And this is a balance that every Christian must maintain. We must have the same mind. Yes, on the one hand, I am eager to be with the Lord, but on the other hand, I am eager to remain here so that I might be used of the Lord. This should be our disposition as we wait patiently for the Lord's will to be accomplished in and through our lives and even through our deaths. But as I have said, Paul was able to speak so positively of death because he knew, and you can see that he really knew and believed in his heart, that Christ defeated death for him. The sting of death has been removed by Christ. Those with faith in Christ will not be cursed at the moment of death, but they will be blessed in the moment of death instead. Let us take just a moment and work through our catechism piece by piece. These are wonderful truths that are summarized here for us. The first thing we say in our catechism when we talk about the blessings that will be ours in the moment of death is that the souls of believers, that is the first little phrase, the souls of believers. And here we are to recognize that human beings are made up of body and soul. You have a body and you have a soul. The soul is the non-material part of man. You cannot take a picture of the soul, but you do know that, that it exists. You can sense that it is there. The soul is where the personality resides. The soul is where our affections reside. And here is one way in which we are like God. God is a most pure spirit and we have a spirit or a soul. Of course, we differ from God in that He is a pure spirit, whereas we are made up of body and soul or body and and spirit. We are complex in this regard, whereas God is simple. And do not forget that we are speaking of believers here as we consider this catechism question. In question 42, we will come to ask, what shall be done to the wicked at their death? But for now, we are talking about what happens to believers at the moment of death. Secondly, we say the souls of believers are that death made perfect in holiness. So death does not corrupt the soul of the believer, of the one who has faith in Christ. Instead, it brings the soul to perfection. Death does not corrupt the soul of the one who has faith in Christ, but instead it brings the soul to perfection. In this life, we do still struggle with sin. Though we have been redeemed, though we have been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, corruptions remain within us. We still struggle with sin. That sanctification that we spoke of previously, one of the benefits that comes to us in this life is a lifelong process whereby we are made more and more into the image of God, into the image of Christ. We struggle with sin throughout the life, our life here on earth. But at the moment of death, the one who has faith will pass from a state of grace wherein corruptions remain into the state of glory, wherein the souls of the righteous are made perfect. And this is what our catechism says, thirdly, and do immediately pass into glory, and do immediately pass into glory. To pass into glory is to be perfectly and immutably able to do good alone. I long for that day, don't you long for that day, brothers and sisters, where we will no longer struggle with sin, but we will be in a state of, of glory then, able to do good only, able to obey God only. Sin will not even be a possibility for us because our souls have been made perfect. And to pass into glory is to come into the presence of God Himself personally. 
I want for you to remember what I said earlier, that the soul is where the personality resides. In this sense, you are immortal. Your body will die, but your soul will live forever and ever. This is true for the believer and the non-believer alike, as we will see. But their destinies, the destinies of the believer and the non-believer, could not be more different. If we are in Christ, we will go on living in the presence of God. We will enter into glory. But the one who does not have faith in Christ will pass from death to death. It is not that they will cease to exist, but that they will go to condemnation. And fourthly, we say, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. You are immortal, as I have said, but you will for a time be incomplete unless you are alive when the Lord returns. Are you tracking with me here? Um, you will for a time be incomplete unless you are alive when the Lord returns. When the, believer, when the believer passes from this world, the soul and the body are separated in an unnatural way. The soul goes to glory, but the body returns to the earth from which it was created. You will be you in the presence of God, but you will be incomplete until that day when Christ returns to resurrect the body. True, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, just as 2 Corinthians 5.8 says. But still it is to be incomplete. To be human is to have body and soul. But at the moment of death, the soul is separated from the body for a time until the Lord returns to make all things new. Now, we will speak more about the resurrection of the body next week. But for now, let us consider this little phrase. And their bodies... Being still united to Christ, do rest in the, their graves till the resurrection. What does this mean, this little phrase, being still united to Christ? Our bodies are going to go into the ground. They're going to go into the grave at the moment of death. But our, our bodies are still united to Christ. What is meant by this? It means this. Christ has redeemed us as whole persons. And he will not abandon any part of us but will bring us whole into the new heavens and earth. In that time after death and before the resurrection, Christ will guard those who belong to him. The souls will go to glory, and the bodies into the grave, but both are united to Christ, body and soul, and Christ will bring us complete into the new heavens and new earth. So many misunderstand this, I think. I think so many people assume that heaven will for all eternity be only spiritual, like an ethereal kind of existence where we will forever and ever just reside in heaven as spirits only. Uh, but this is unbiblical. In fact, there will be a resurrection at the end of time where the bodies of believers will be raised from the grave and reunited with the soul to live in the new heavens and earth, a physical place for all eternity in the presence of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 and following speaks to this saying, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, that is to say, those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will 
will rise first. Here is a reference to that bodily resurrection that will take place at the end of time. This is wonderful truth here, isn't it, for us to consider? I hope that you can see that this is, an, this is important truth. It should give us courage in the here and now. It should especially give us courage at the moment of death. The believer ought to have courage even at the moment of death. Brethren, you are to know for sure that when you die in Christ, you will pass from life to life. And you are to know for sure that when you die, you will come immediately into the presence of God and Christ. There is no such thing as soul sleep. Have you ever heard of this doctrine of of soul sleep? This idea that when we die, we will go to the grave only, and there we will await in a state of sleepy slumber until Christ returns. That is false doctrine. The true doctrine is this. In the moment we die, we will immediately pass into the presence of God personally, because it is in the soul that the personality resides, and the soul will go to glory at the moment of death. So you must believe this. You will come personally into the presence of God immediately at the moment of death, and you must know for sure that when you die in Christ, you will pass from grace to glory. To be in a state of grace is indeed a tremendous blessing. To be in Christ is to be in a state of grace. To be in Christ is to be justified, adopted, and sanctified. That is a tremendous blessing. These are the blessings that we enjoy in this life along with many others. To be in grace is a great blessing, but it will be even a greater blessing to pass into that state of glory when everything is made perfect, where our souls are perfected in the presence of God, where we will no longer struggle with sin, that process of sanctification will then come to completion. We will be perfect before God and even unable to sin. In this state of grace, corruptions remain, but in glory your souls will be made perfect in holiness. And it is no wonder that Paul longed for that day, as should we. And so what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Repeat after me, brothers and sisters. The souls of believers are at death. Made perfect in holiness. And do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, the salvation that you have provided for us in Christ Jesus is truly awesome. It is truly great. We thank you for those benefits that we enjoy in the here and now. Justification, adoption, and sanctification, and many other blessings that accompany these. But we are especially thankful for the blessings that we will enjoy in the moment of death. Indeed, death is our greatest enemy, and Christ has defeated death. Death, therefore, for us has no sting, and we are thankful for this. Father, I do pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that in their time here on earth they would so grow in Christ and in their knowledge of the truth of God's Word that at the moment of death they would have sincere confidence, that they would not tremble in fear ultimately, but that they would be at peace, their hope residing in Christ 
and in their sure inheritance that is found in Him. God, we thank You that You have provided for our every need in Christ Jesus. You have redeemed us not partially, but fully. God, You are gracious and merciful and kind, and we love You. In Christ's name we say these things, and all of God's people say,